interesting when things like this affect our society or in our our communities in certain ways, and some pastors today are going to preach a sermon that is just geared toward how we should respond to the coronavirus or how we should respond to what's happening in our world today. Um, but I feel like as a church body, the things that we have been talking about and the things that we have been doing as a church, it's almost as if we've been preparing for moments like this. And as I've perused through social media and I've looked at some of the things that many in, in our church body have posted, I've been so pleased by the videos and the, the, the comments and the things that people in our church body are posting because I feel like uh, we're not responding in fear. We're not responding in panic. There is this level of faith and trust in our hearts. And uh, I want to thank Heather Mullen for just the video that she posted yesterday and um, really just encouraging us how to respond, how to act, um, almost reminding us of what is true. And if you haven't seen the, the posts that people have put on uh, by Martin Luther, um, one by C.S. Lewis, that really in their day when they faced uh, plagues and they faced different things, that they didn't even have some of the medical advancements that we have and some of the technology that we have to get words out. And some of their words are so profound and so prophetic, the, the challenges that they've made to the body of Christ. And so um, keep doing what you're doing. Don't let fear overtake you. Don't let the panic overtake you. And I love the challenge by Martin Luther that... Uh, if we need to run toward the plague, we're going to run toward the plague. I mean, we want to respond to our government officials and be wise. And even today, we're taking the steps to uh, to try to keep social interaction at bay. But, you know, if my neighbor has the coronavirus and I need to intervene in some way, uh, Martin Luther says, you know, Lord, if you take me, you're going to take me. But uh, I'm going to continue to build your kingdom. And uh, I pray that that's what happens in our lives over the next couple of weeks. And so today... Um, we're, I've, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, um, we have really been in a series on the 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, the Holy Spirit, how he works in our lives. In fact, we've called it, Who Lives in You? And uh, we've really gone through this. And today I'm actually, that was maybe my first mini sermon. And now I'm going to kind of recap and end this series. And then we're going to get into um, a series in the Old Testament that we're going to look at. And I've been bringing to the table more sermon than I have time for over the last several weeks. And so at 1130, we're just going to be done. So I guarantee you that. And uh, we'll, well, I hope to guarantee you that. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we started. And I want to remind you, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And he's addressing questions that they have sent him, whether by letter or by messenger, or concerns that have been sent to him in the same way, letter or messenger. And he is responding directly to those concerns when he's writing the letter of 1 Corinthians to them. He didn't call it 1 Corinthians. We call it 1 Corinthians as we put it in the Bible to help us, um, you know, be able to, to work with it and understand it. Uh, he didn't have chapters and verses in his letter. Just like you, uh, maybe back in the day, would have written a letter to someone and mailed it to them. Um, you wouldn't have, you maybe would have had paragraphs, but you wouldn't have said, okay, chapter one, here's what I want to talk to you about. Um, and so the 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 church leaders have put these chapters and verses in later on. And so when he comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he's changing topics from what he's talked about. And he says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question 
about the things that pertain to the Spirit. And we've talked in great detail about this word. Some of your translations translate this word gift, about the gifts of the Spirit. But the word gifts is the Greek word charisma, charismata in, in the Greek in that language. And so that means gift or it means grace. And it is used in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, but it's not used in this verse. This is the word pneumakaton. And if you want to go back and listen to some of our earlier uh, messages, I'm not going to go into great detail, but I want to I want to just say that we've talked in great detail that sometimes Paul uses the word gift or grace, and sometimes he uses this word pneumakaton, which means things that pertain to the Spirit. And so when I put the translation up on the screen today, that's what I put up, so that the things that pertain to the Spirit, these are not the gifts, but if you... If you were paying attention earlier, I actually said that the gifts of the Spirit would operate in our service. And yet, that's just the way we've, we've commonly referred to it, but they're actually the manifestations of the Spirit. What I don't want us to do is get so hung up on terminology that we're afraid of what we say. Oh, did I say gifts of the Spirit? Did I mean manifestations? I don't want us to panic or freak out about what words we're using, but the reason I want us to be clear on the words is so that we understand what the Apostle Paul is saying in these passages, what he's saying in these chapters and how that applies to us. So here he says, I don't want you to misunderstand or I don't want you to be ignorant about the things that pertain to the Spirit. And at the end of that chapter, he says, earnestly desire the most helpful graces or gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Then he goes into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what we commonly refer to the love chapter, and he talks about how love is this thing that is never failing. It's what we build our lives on. It's the foundation. And so the, the Corinthian church felt like if they spoke in tongues, they were like, elite people. They were far above all the other people. And what Paul is saying, you know, the thing that makes you the most elite in the kingdom of God is love. Always love. So whether you speak in tongues or whether you don't, if it, love is the key thing. Love is the main thing. So then when he goes into 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Again, he's not ranking prophecy above any of the other gifts. He's just saying, you guys in Corinth are saying speaking in tongues is the most important. And there are people speaking in tongues all over the place. Nobody understands what's going on. So when you come together, it's better to speak in English. It's better to prophesy unless... You speak in tongues and, and interpret it in, in turns. You don't just talk over each other. You don't just have a, a free-for-all, but you do something in a way that helps everyone be encouraged, everyone be built up, everyone to understand what's happening in that, that worship service or in that gathering. And he even tells them here, since you are eager for the things pertaining to the Spirit, try to excel in those things that build up the entire church. Now, he's not telling them, and he he clarifies this throughout these chapters to throw out the things. Well, since speaking in tongues is causing problems, let's just not speak in tongues anymore. No, he clearly says that has value. You've got to learn to understand it. You've got to put it in its proper context. You've got to put it in its place so that you understand it and use it like it's supposed to be used. So don't misunderstand these things. And then later on here in chapter 14, he says, remember, the people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. 
It's interesting because sometimes growing up in Pentecostal churches, we've heard, well, the Spirit came on me and I just couldn't help myself. We can always help ourselves. When the Spirit comes on us, sometimes it is an emotional moment. Sometimes it is something that is like, wow, this is so awesome. But we cannot let our emotions get the best of us so that we then end up stepping on other people. And see, the Corinthian church, they weren't taking turns speaking out. They were just talking over each other. And oddly, when the Apostle Paul tells them how to do it, he says, if you're standing and speaking and someone else gets up and starts speaking, you sit down. And that's against our culture. We're like, no, 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 I was first, so I should be finished speaking before you get up. And Paul says, no, if this person just got so overwhelmed that they stood up, now, they should have been in control, they should have waited their turn, but if they do get up, you prefer others over yourself in the body of Christ, because remember, love is our highest goal, so I'll sit down, you speak. And that's kind of what he's doing in this teaching. And he talks here at the end, for God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. Be sure that everything is done properly and in order. And so we want to continue to to learn about these gifts. We want to continue to let them operate in our lives, everything that pertains to the Spirit, because it is important and it is vital. If you remember, at the beginning of this series, I talked about uh, Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, and how we have to be diligent to persevere. We have to be diligent to to not get lazy or indifferent. Uh, You're not going to learn about the things that pertain to the Spirit if you just kind of wait for God to act and you're just, you know, I'm just going to sit here and wait. No, you've got to be in the Word. You've got to be studying. You've got to step out in obedience when you think that the Holy Spirit is prompting you. That's how we learn and grow. And that's why I challenged you, even in your homes today, we should expect the gifts of the Spirit, the things that pertain to the Spirit, to operate in our lives the same way that we would expect it in a gathering in one place. Because the Holy Spirit is not limited by time or space the way that we are. And we've got to learn to think like Him. In 2 Peter chapter 1, one of those foundational messages was that we keep adding to our understanding of the things that pertain to the Spirit, the things of the kingdom of God, and we keep growing in them. One last verse, and then we're going to close the chapter for now on the gifts of the Spirit. Um, In Acts chapter 5, or excuse me, Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have just on their way to prayer prayed for a lame man and he got healed. And the, the religious leaders are upset about this because they're preaching about Jesus and they don't like Jesus and they're, they're not sure what to do. And I love this because this is what the religious leaders say in response to what's happening. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. I love that. I don't believe the Bible's telling us don't study the Bible, don't understand the Bible. In fact, in just a moment, I'll completely contradict that idea because I do believe we need to study the Bible and we need to understand it. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 said, your mind needs to understand these things. But there's something about the supernatural power of God. When we share our testimony, when we share what we have seen, what God has done, they couldn't argue with the fact that here's a man that was lame, he got healed and he's standing right there got nothing for that. 
And that's why the gifts of the Spirit, that's why the things that pertain to the Spirit are very important in our day today. Because people can argue, well, that's what you think the Bible says. Well, that's what you say. But your, his signs and wonders confirm the truth of the Word. And so if we're lazy or indifferent to the things that pertain to the Spirit, we're missing out on what God has put in our arsenal to build his kingdom. And so we've got to make sure that we're diligent to study these things. And we can't be afraid to make mistakes. We are not afraid as leaders for you to start do, operating in some of these manifestations. We're going to help correct each other. We're going to help each other learn and grow. And none of us have all the right answers. None of us know how to navigate some of the days that we're living in right now. But we're not afraid to step out and try new new things as the Spirit leads us, because, and we're going to be true to what the Word says, but we've got to make sure that we use everything that's in His arsenal. So I want to continue to challenge you um, to seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit that we've talked about, to seek the manifestations in your daily life. Let them be something that you practice all the time, because the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit was given to us to be witnesses, and we want to make sure that that's what we do. So, that's the end of that series, so let's turn the page. Um, for those of you that have been going through the Bible reading plans with us, um, there's another one that starts uh, this week, and if you need a paper copy, those are here at the church, and so during office hours this week, if you want to stop by to pick one up, or if you want us to bring one by your home, or uh, I'm even willing to mail you a copy if you need a copy, just get in touch with me, let me know. Um, if you've been following on, on the Version Bible app, we'll get you plugged into that, but we've been reading specific things on the Old Testament. And we're going to take the rest of today and the next two weeks to talk about some of the Old Testament passages and scriptures. And I had hoped to correspond the Sunday messages to those Bible reading plans, but snow interrupted us and some other things have interrupted us and Corona has tried to interrupt us. And so that's why I really felt like we needed to start diving into this now, um, because in a few weeks, we're going to start reading through the Gospel of Luke. And I don't want to miss our time in the Old Testament before we get into the Gospel of Luke. And then also, um, the Untold Story is now available at the Welcome Center. We've got pictures or copies of these for you to purchase. They're $15. This is a supplemental reading guide that we're basically going to be using for the rest of the year and maybe even into 2021 because we're going to take time to go through the, the New Testament and we're going to study the culture, the background of the New Testament. And this book is a supplemental guide that kind of explains some of those cultural nuances, some of those things that as Westerners, we don't understand. And so it's going to help you to read the Bible more effectively. And so I want to encourage you to pick one of those up. Again, you can pick them up during office hours in the, the weeks ahead. But um, this, if you recognize this, um, if your kids are watching with you today, you might recognize that timeline at the bottom. This is what our True Fire Club, our True Fire Kids ministry uses downstairs in our our classes every week. It's called the Big God Story, and it's a timeline. And this is the timeline of the Bible, really from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Now, I've taken away the Big God Story, and I've titled this Trust the Story. And you're going to hear me say that a lot over the next three weeks, that from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is a complete story. And I believe that as believers in Jesus, as believers in the God of the Bible, we need to not only understand the story of the Bible. We need to trust the story of the Bible. And um, my journey with the Old Testament or with the, the story of the Bible 
really started, I guess, in Bible college. And, um, you know, I, I took a few Old Testament classes in Bible college, one called Old Testament Survey, one called Minor Prophets. But most of my biblical teaching centered on the New Testament. And um, I took two semesters of Greek, which is the language the New Testament is written, written in. I didn't take anything in Hebrew, which is what the language of the Old Testament is. And I I came to understand in 2012, I went on a trip to, to Israel through the Center for Holy Land Studies, which is an arm of the Assemblies of God where we take pastors, we take ministers, we take our, our people to the land of Israel to help them understand that in order to understand the Bible fully, you need to know the culture of the Bible. You need to see the land of the Bible. You need to understand Jewish culture. You need to understand Eastern thought versus Western thought. You need to understand Hebrew and the Hebrew nuance of scripture, things that were totally foreign to me. And in the few days that we were in Israel, it unlocked a whole world of of things for me. And so I started studying from 2012 till now, uh, not every single day and not diligently studying, but I started reading books like one called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes that really helps us understand that most of us who grew up in church or those who get saved in Western churches, we view Jesus. I mean, we know that he was Middle Eastern. We know that he's not white. But we still view a lot of what he says and does through Western white eyes. And so we've got to understand, in order to fully understand what the Bible teaches, we need to view Jesus through those Middle Eastern eyes. There's another book that I I read called um, Windows into the Bible by Mark Turnage. And I'm going to post on the comment section of this video today a lot of the podcasts that I refer to, a lot of the books that I refer to. And if you want to do further study on it, um, I'm going to encourage you to do it. Because there's no way I can take what I've studied over the last eight years and in three weeks, download all that to you. Um, we are going to come back to some of it later on as we study the New Testament, because I don't think you can fully understand the New Testament without referring back to the Old Testament. In fact, many of the Jewish writers of our New Testament refer often back to the Old Testament. And so we're going to keep coming back to it, but uh, I'm going to give you a chance to study a lot of it on your own. And um, there's a passage of Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And Paul is writing to young Timothy, who's a pastor, and he says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, when we read that, we think, oh, yeah, the Bible is God-breathed and is useful for all these things. And that's, I'm not going to argue with that. That's totally true. The Bible is God-breathed. But, When Timothy reads this, he's not thinking the Bible is God-breathed. He's thinking Genesis through Malachi is God-breathed. That's what he has as Scripture. His Scripture, his understanding of Scripture, even though he he was not a Hebrew, he was a Greek, he understands, because Paul trained him, the Hebrew Scriptures are Genesis to Malachi. Those things are God-breathed, and those are useful to teach us to help us learn and understand the God story, to rebuke us. Sometimes we think one way and it rebukes us. It literally, I hate to use the word slap, but it slaps us out of the Western mindset back into the Eastern mindset. Because Timothy, you've got to remember, Timothy was a Greek. He had a Western mindset like many of us. But he had the privilege of interacting with Eastern mindset Jews. 
And so he was actually trained by one. You and I don't always have that privilege. And so he's able to put some of this stuff in context and be rebuked. To correct is a little softer than rebuke. It's like setting a broken bone. And then to train, to literally build. Remember what we've been talking about from Peter. Keep adding to what you know. Don't throw out everything you know. Don't be like, oh, I learned this new truth, so I'm going to scrap all the other truth I've ever learned and, and just start focusing on this one truth. No, take that new truth you've learned from the study of Scripture and apply it to everything else you've learned in Scripture. And that's what Paul is saying. And the reason we do that is so that we can be thoroughly equipped, fully equipped for every good work. Our understanding of the Hebrew Scriptures, our understanding of the, the gospel of salvation through the cross, our understanding of the things pertaining to the Spirit. We need all of these things so that you and I are thoroughly equipped for every good work, thoroughly equipped to respond to corona, thoroughly equipped to respond to anything that happens in our world. If the, the government all of a sudden says, hey, church, you can't meet together for the next six months, what would we do? How do we stay connected? I mean, I love the pastors on Facebook that have just honestly said to people, uh, we're dependent upon your offerings, so please make sure that you continue to give online. Because you know what? That's, that's a reality that pastors face. We have built a type of church system where we are so dependent upon the offerings of people. And you and I, in our church, we've been talking about that. Is that something we should do? Should we be so utterly dependent on the week-to-week -week offerings? Is there a better way? Is there a more biblical way to be having a, a, a church worship gathering without putting so much pressure on the the financial aspect of it. Is that the best way to use our funds? Should we be using our funds to serve the poor more than we are? And so those are things we're already wrestling with. I love it. I think it's great. And uh, we're going to keep doing that. But that's what it means to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, again, I'm going to put these things in front of you so that you have an opportunity to interact with some of them. Because if we're not reading the scriptures regularly, if we're not meditating or thinking back throughout the day what we've read. Okay, it's one thing to get up every morning and read the Bible. It's another thing to keep rehearsing it through your mind throughout the day. Seeing how that, what, what did I read this morning? How does that apply to my situation right now at work? How does that apply to what I'm about to post on Facebook? How does that apply to every, how I'm about to interact with my wife, my kids, my, all of these things. We want to make sure that we're adding these things to our lives. So we're reading the Word, we're meditating on the Word, we're studying the Word. And if you're relying on the 30 minutes that I get to speak to you every Sunday morning to be the, thir the, the totality of your teaching on Bible knowledge and learning, uh, you're going to get some, you're not going to get much. In fact, what they tell us is that you sitting listening to me talk, you're going to retain about 7% of what I say. It's probably even lower than that because I threw that statistic out uh, just off the top of my head. So guarantee it might not be accurate. In fact, some of you can Google it right now just to be, be sure. But you're going to keep, remember very little of what I said. But if you keep rehearsing it, if you take some of the supplemental things that we provide you and you read it, because there's this, this concept out there that, well, Pastor, I'm just going to read the Bible. I don't need to read these other books, and I don't need to listen to other podcasts. I just need the Bible. That's not false, but you've got to make sure that you're, you're understanding the Bible in the context in which it was written. And some of these other supplemental things help us to understand the Scripture. 
I do not believe all of our time should be taking up in supplemental things. If we're not going back to the Scripture to apply the supplemental stuff so that we read and understand Scripture, then we're in error just like people that just say, no, I'm just going to read the Bible. That's all I need. Um, we want to be thoroughly equipped. We need all of the, the teachers to help us do that. And so there are some podcasts that I'm going to refer to. There's some things that I'm going to put on um, the 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 thread today for you to look at as well. In fact, I'm going to lean heavily um, in the message today and in the, the weeks ahead on one that I just came across. It's called the Bama Podcast, and Casey Davies actually is the one that um, plugged me into it. And I love it because I've not seen someone so thoroughly put together what I have studied through different podcasts like the After Class podcast, um, teachings through Biblical Expeditions and Mark Turnage and the Center for Holy Land Studies and some of the different things that I've read and studied. Uh, he does a fantastic job of putting it in a, a package that's easy to understand, especially when we start talking about the difference between Eastern thought and Western thought. Sometimes people in the church world, when we start talking about Eastern thought, we think like Eastern religions and we think like Buddhism and, you know, the Orient and Chinese stuff and Japanese stuff. And we're like, oh, we need to stay away from all of that. But the Hebrew culture would have been from that type of Eastern mindset. And if we don't understand it, we're going to miss some of the things that the, the writers of the New Testament would have been thoroughly acquainted with. Because I guarantee you, when they read the Old Testament, they read it different than we read it. And we want to know how they would have read it. And so uh, we've gone through some of the Bible studies uh, over the last three weeks. And uh, there's one more that we're going to do from the Old Testament. And then we're going to go into the New Testament. We're going to study um, the Gospel of Luke together. And that's going to take us right up to Easter. And then we're going to start, start diving into the untold story and the book of Acts. And we'll get a reading plan out to you for that. But for the Old Testament for today... Everyone, make sure your neighbor's still awake. Um, make sure your kids haven't, like, totally turned off the, the live stream. But um, the, the Pentateuch, what we refer to as the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, the writer of those five books of the Bible, we know to be Moses. The problem is, Moses is born in the book of Exodus. Now, nothing is written down until the time of Moses when he starts writing down the Pentateuch. Now, when I grew up, I was taught, well, Moses probably got these things from the mountain. God gave him the book of Genesis on the mountain because oral tradition, what was passed on from fathers to their, their families, uh, Moses didn't grow up in his family. Moses, remember the story, was grew up in Pharaoh's household for 40 years. Then he went and lived in the desert for 40 years. So he didn't have the oral tradition. So where did he come up with all of the teachings in Genesis, and how do they, those apply um, to us? And I don't disagree that God could have revealed it all to him on the mountain. In fact, I think in the, the, the book of Psalms, in fact, I'm going to put it up now, Psalms 103, he made his made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Psalm 103, verse 7, clearly tells us that 
Moses had a relationship with God that was different than the rest of the people of Israel. So he knew God's character, God's nature, God's ways. And so he was able to pen for us the entire book of Genesis account. And he probably, in spending time with some of the Israelites as they wandered in the desert for 40 years, heard some of the oral tradition as well. And so he articulated it to us. But the question is, is what he's writing to us a, a historical, western, detailed account of what's happened? Or is it an eastern, Hebrew, Egyptian story account of what has happened? Now, that doesn't make it less authoritative. It doesn't make it less God-breathed. It's just the culture that they lived in. And as, as we walk through some of these things, um, don't, get, don't stone me today. Luckily, you're not in the room, so if you feel like the need to lob a stone, uh, you're not going to be able to do that maybe until next week. But I challenge you, take this week where maybe you've got a little extra time because we're canceling stuff. Um, go back through, look at some of these screens that I'm about to put up because I'm going to show you uh, a, a um, presentation that was put together by Marty Solomon off the Bama podcast. Uh, follow the link to the Bama podcast, listen to some of that, maybe some of the other books, interact with it, read the scriptures, and start looking at the different translations that are out there and what some of that says. And so we need to come to a place where we start thinking about the Bible like an Easterner like a Hebrew would. The rich images and stories that fill the pages of our Bible, and yet they come from a time and a culture that's very different from our own. The writers of the Bible are Hebrew. They're Eastern, and they are writing to Eastern audiences. It's important for us to understand that. Most Christians in our culture are Greek. We're Western, who think about the world in a much different way than the people of the Bible. As a result, much of the Bible is lost on our culture and lost even more as we try to explain it through a Western lens. If we learn to think Hebrew, the text will begin to come alive. Now, again, Marty Solomon put these slides together. I want to thank him for it, totally credit him for it. I'm not going to plagiarize him. He did it. He's put it out there for us, and uh, it's amazing how he's packaged it. But he put together a help to help us see what this looks like. So the difference between the way of thinking and the way that we use words. From a Greek mindset, we express truth using words, ideas, and definitions. But from a Hebrew mindset, Truth is expressed using word pictures and stories. And so when we even look at the creation account, the way that a Greek or Western thinker would look at the, the, the creation account is way different than the way a Hebrew would look at that creation account. And we're going to talk about that maybe not today, maybe as we get into next week and in the weeks ahead. From the Greek they prefer prose, outlines, lists, bullet points. Some of you that maybe are not your type A person are already a little more Hebrew-leaning. Uh, you prefer poetry, imagery, symbolism, and that's how that works. And so to take that even further, the way that Greek people see numbers is primarily in quantity. The way that Hebrew or Eastern people see numbers is primarily as quality or symbol. Now, I don't want 
this can be taken to an extreme where every single number in the Bible is symbolic of some. I mean, you can take this to an extreme that is also wrong. We want to make sure that we keep this in perspective, but that we keep our minds open. When we see numbers, we have to interact critically with the text to make sure that we know what those numbers mean in that passage. When they view life, the way we view eternal life, Westerners view it as detached from this world. The Hebrews, in this world and every world. The Greek, Western, something that starts when this life is over. The Hebrew, it's the life that's now lived in harmony with God. Now, we've been talking about this a lot over the last years, that eternal life is not what happens when we die. It's what happens when our spirits become born again when we receive Christ. See, we're coming out of that Western mindset that for so long has viewed accept Jesus into your heart so that when you die, you have eternal life. The Hebrew mindset is, no, start a relationship with God right now through Jesus Christ. Your eternal life has begun. You will never die. Your physical body will die, but your spirit lives forever with God. And that with God starts right now. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's not about what happens when I die. It's what happens once I accept Jesus Christ. The community versus individualistic mindset. Um, Wow, this is huge because in our Western Greek mindset, we focus so much on the individual. Remember the Corinthians in Greek were focusing on the gifts of the Spirit and how they pertain to me. And what does Hebrew Paul tell them? It's what focuses on the community, the common good. We're all about in our Western world, it's all about me, Jesus. And God is like, no, no, no. I am all about a God. And we're going to see this. I can't wait. I'm so excited for this. Um, I've been so excited for so long, and we're probably not going to get to it till next week. Um, but God himself is a community. He is one God, but he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And how that shows up in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and is a part of the entire story. So that's why God is so big on community. He is community. Even though he's one God, he exists as three separate parts. It's so cool. And I know as Westerners, we want to define that. But as Easterners, they're okay with, you know, we can't really define it, but we've experienced it. <laughs> I know some of you are ready to be like, I don't like this already. Um, the way we view error or sin. In the Western world, wrong belief or incorrect thinking is error. But in the Eastern world, it's wrong behavior that's error. In the Western world, we focus so much on what a person knows. For us, discipleship is how much you know. How much do you know the Bible? How many verses have you memorized? Can you quote the Romans Road? Can you share your story, your testimony? How much head knowledge do you have? That's your maturity level. But for the Eastern world, maturity is what we do. Now, we know what we do flows out of what's what we know. We know that we transform our lives by what we think. It comes out of what we think. But sometimes in the Western world, we're tempted to stop with information, and the Eastern world is all about what comes after that, the transformation. How we view God is different. The, the Western world tries to prove the existence of God. 
the Hebrew world, the Eastern world just assumes the existence of God. They always have. God is there, and they want to learn more about him. But for us in the Western world, we are doubters. We, you know, prove to me that God exists. That, that's foreign to the Hebrew thought. Now, we have to address that Western mindset because as Western believers, we have to learn to address those that in our Western culture that are, are, are wrestling with that. But we have to understand that that's not in the Scriptures per se to try to prove that God exists because it really wasn't a necessary thing for the Hebrew person. So that's going to help us as we move forward. To describe God, again, the, the Western mind wants to focus on the nature and the being of God. What is God? Who is this God? Define for me this Trinity thing. God is one God, but he's three parts. You gotta, you, I need to know. I need, I need to understand in my brain what this Trinity is all about. But look at the Eastern side. It focuses on the nature of the relationship with God. How, do, how does God relate to us? And for them... I don't, I don't need you to explain to my mind how God is three parts. I need to experience the three parts. I, okay, God is one. I need to experience the Father. I need to experience the Son. I need to experience, I mean, Moses on the mountain didn't say, oh, God is provider. He is Jehovah Jireh, my provider, because uh, my father told me so. Or because, you know, God t- came and said, I'm your provider. He knew it because he was about to sacrifice his son, and God provided a ram to be in that son's place, and he experienced God is provider. That's an Eastern mindset. For us in the Western world, faith is intellectual. It's creeds, it's doctrines, it's belief statements. It's proof texting to support what we believe. So I go through the Bible and I find one verse that proves what I want to believe and therefore it is true. Whether or not that fits the entire story of the Bible, the whole story of the Bible or not, hey, it's a proof text. I pull it out and I make it fit what I want to believe. Now, Please hear me again. The New Testament tells us doctrine is important, but how they view doctrine and how we view doctrine is going to be different, and we need to make sure that we understand what they're talking about and how to apply that even in our Western world. Because for the Eastern person, faith is relational. Experiences with God and not an attempt to rationalize is a part of faith for them. Ultimate truth for the Westerner, truth is rational, truth is scientific, it focuses on how things are done, belief comes as one thinks through things, but again, for the Eastern world, truth is religious, it's experiential, faith in, or focus in scripture is on what was done and who did it, belief comes through experience. And don't worry, we're going to unpack this a lot more in the weeks ahead. So if this is a lot for you to take in, and again, remember, we're adding to our understanding of Scripture. We're not throwing anything away today. We're just adding a little bit more than maybe we understood before. And then truth is revealed over time. Truth is static and unchanging to the Western mind. But in the Eastern world, truth is unfolding. That does not mean truth is changing. It means we're understanding truth because we're understanding God more. 
God is beyond our ability to comprehend in our finite minds. So every day that we experience him, truth is unfolding more and more to us. It doesn't change the truth we've already received. It just expands that truth. I've got three more slides that we're going to show, and then uh, we're going to wrap it up for today and uh, let you move on and chew on this for the rest of your day today. But to kind of put it in a little bit more perspective, the, the Hebrew, for them, when they think of this idea of testing in the Scripture, test is not pass or fail a test, okay? For them, a test is, is, is a chance for you to learn something. It's not a chance for God to... Um, to get you a grade on how you're doing right now. This is a chance for us as the believer to know what's in our hearts. From Deuteronomy chapter 8, God came to them to humble them and test them in order to know what was in their hearts. Now, he already knew what was in their hearts. It was more for them to know what was in their hearts. But again, for God, it's not, he doesn't want to just in his mind know what's in our hearts. That word yada is to experience. It's not a cerebral thing. It's to experience what's in our hearts. So for God to know what was in their hearts, it had to show up in their actions. Now, I know God is God, and he already knew what was in their hearts, but from a Hebrew perspective, until it's a shared experience, it's not really known. And so that's one thing that we have to keep in mind as we look at this idea of testing. And so a test is an opportunity to show God what's in our hearts. So even as we walk through these uncertain times, our reactions, what's coming out of our hearts, that's a test. That's to show, experience what's in our hearts. God, I trust you because I, I've memorized Scripture, so I trust you. Well, the proof of that is going to come out in what happens over the next few days of our lives. And then a test is an opportunity for us to learn things from God. So when something comes out of us and we're like, whoa, I don't like what came out of my heart just now. We're learning things from God. We're experiencing him in a way. So God, our salvation depends on what Christ did for us from start to finish. So we don't have to overreact and think, oh, I'm a terrible person because those things came out of my heart. No, we've learned something and now we've got to learn who God is. How do we respond to him? How do we respond to the circumstances of our lives? And so next week, we're going to actually dive into the beginning of the, the story, how to trust the story of God. And I believe that the story of God begins in Genesis. Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are really like a preface for the story God is about to tell. Then Genesis 12 through 50 begins to introduce us to the people of God that he's going to tell this narrative through. Ultimately, we're going to be grafted into that people of God as Gentile believers outside of the Hebrew nation. God's going to bring us in. And then from Exodus to Revelation is the entire narrative of God's story. And it's going to be foundational, I believe, um, for us to understand the New Testament as we start reading through it together uh, as a group in the rest of the year. So, a lot of information um, for you to unpack and to really think about, talk about, maybe as a family. Uh, again, later on this afternoon, I'm going to put on uh, the, the comment section of this um, 
live stream feed. I'm going to put the podcast that I've used that you could go back to. I can even point you to the, the PDF files that I have here. Uh, you can go back to it. And I want to encourage you to start learning about the Old Testament. Continue reading through the version um, Bible stories with us. Don't be afraid to interact on there. Share some thoughts. Share some comments. Share some questions. Um, we've been doing that throughout the, the last couple of weeks. We're going to keep doing that uh, in the weeks ahead. And uh, I'm excited for the things that we're going to learn and understand as we continue to unpack this together. So enjoy the time that you're going to have. I'm going to pray together for us, but enjoy the time that you're going to have as a family over these next few weeks. Use it. It's time to clean your house. Use it. It's time to get caught up on things. Use it. It's time to read the scripture together. Use it. It's time to read or listen to some of these podcasts or, you know, just enjoy being together as a family. So don't view this week as um, a bad thing. View it as an opportunity and use it to interact with your neighbors and your coworkers. Talk about the things that you're doing and to begin to deposit the things God's showing you. And uh, let's just keep building the kingdom. Uh, the kingdom of God is not on hold. Church is not canceled. Church is just happening in different ways over these next uh, days and maybe next weeks. And so, Father, I just want to say thank you for the ways that you have stepped in and revealed yourself. God, we know that we never would have known you if you had not come to us, if you had not made yourself known to us. And God, we are excited to continue to experience you, to continue to understand who you are. And I pray that you would just continue to grow and develop our understanding of who you are, our understanding of your word, our understanding, God, of the Old Testament and how that fits into the New Testament and how that fits into our daily lives. God, help us to understand the Eastern mindset, the Hebrew culture that this is written in and how that applies to our Western culture and how we need to interact with our Western culture and to make those truths relevant now in this Western world. And so, God, we need your help. Holy Spirit, give us grace to help each other. Help us to be able to, to wrestle with the things in your word. Help us not to be afraid to question things and really dig for answers over these next few weeks and these next few months as we study your word together. Holy Spirit, I pray your continued protection, not just on our body, not just on our community, but God, on our world. I just pray, God, for a reversing of this coronavirus. Holy Spirit, I pray for this virus to stop spreading all around our world. Jesus, you are Lord of every disease, every virus. It's by your wounds that we have been healed. It is your power that, that protects and heals. And so we ask for just a reversing of these numbers in the weeks ahead and even in the days and hours ahead. God, we pray for, uh, we thank you for our president, God, to call on this nation. God, we're humbled by a leader that would, would ask us to call upon you and to ask you for your intervention. And God, we pray that you would see that and that you would respond to that in our nation and in our world today. So thank you for the things that you've done. I pray your blessing over our body that is all around this city and county and state and even nation today. We pray your blessing on them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us. God bless you. Thanks for being with us, people that are in the room too. Sorry if it felt like we ignored you the whole day, but uh, thanks for being here. And uh, don't shake hands before you leave and don't hug or kiss or anything, but... Uh,